God bless you guys. Good to be with you this morning. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 3 as we are getting back on track after a month of kind of Christmas messages and um, looking at the coming of Christ. We are back in the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. This morning we are going to be looking at verses 20 to 35, so we'll finish up the chapter. Let me offer a word of prayer before we begin. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, Father, to, to receive from you. Lord, teach us your ways, God. As we studied recently, Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet. It shows us where we're at, where we are. It shows us our condition, and it's a light to our path, Lord. It shows us where we're going, where we should go. So, Lord, um, we need you, God, and uh, we need your word. We need you to instruct us, Lord. So um, speak to us, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, this, this morning we study a, a passage here, some, some incidents that happen where we see Jesus coming up against a lot of opposition. It happened often during his ministry. And so uh, let's start here at verse 20. We are going to see in this passage that, we, that he was misunderstood by his own people, as the Bible says, it calls a group of people his own people, and then he was opposed and attacked by his religious critics. And so... Verse 20, just going to look at, start with one verse here. Actually, two verses, excuse me. And the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Jesus has had tremendous success and tremendous popularity in the Galilee region. The Galilee region is around the Sea of Galilee, also called Tiberias. That's the region that he grew up in. Those were his folks. They, they knew him. He was kind of a regional guy. He spent a lot of time up there. It was a less um, kind of developed social area. Jerusalem was the big city, more of the, the big city feel around the Sea of Galilee, more of a relaxed uh, kind of country folk, if you will. And this was, this was his hometown. This, this was his place. These were his people. And so he's been ministering there. He's been casting out demons, he's been healing the sick, he's been preaching in ways that people were amazed at. And so he's got a huge following. That's what's going on there. We see this in verse 20. The magnitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. I mean, that's that's busy. You know, I grew up in the 60s watching the Beatles and Beatlemania, although, you know, the boomers kind of remember that if you were allowed to listen to rock and roll back then. And just the, the crowds thronging them and all of that. This is what's happening with Jesus. He can't even stop to have a meal. It's nonstop from sunup to sundown. There's nonstop people coming to him, asking for healings, asking for people to be delivered from demons, entreating him for this, asking him for that. It's just nonstop, and he can't even stop to have a meal. There, there is no lunch break. There's just, it's just constantly going on. And because of that, look at verse 21 again. When his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. We need to rescue him. We need to to rescue him from these multitudes. And they said he's out of his mind. He's not thinking correctly. Now consider this. When we read about his own people, they were family members and close friends in his hometown. We get a little bit more of this from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Look at your notes. And when he had come to his own country, around that region of Galilee, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? 
So kind of the, the astonishment and the proof of who he was was a real thing, guys. You couldn't, but hang, you couldn't help but hang around him and be impressed. The things that were happening were real. He wasn't like some of the televangelists that we see or some of these crusade guys or crusader guys where you're kind of wondering, is that real? Is that thing really happening? Is that miracle really happening? Is, is this guy trying to get my money? There was none of that going on. It was, it was obvious, obviously powerful and very impressive. And so there was no question about it. And so he's there with the people. We read that in Matthew. And they say, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? I just want you to think about that for a minute. There was no debate about that part. They see that. But they're having trouble accepting that. The fact that he was wise was clear. They had trouble accepting that. The fact that he had mighty works was clear. They were having trouble accepting that. They weren't debating if he was wise or had mighty works. They were saying, how could this be? We don't understand how this works. Now notice their response. This, once again, parallel passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? His brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? In other words, we know this guy. And his sisters, are they not all with us? When then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. So he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So once again, guys, there was, no, there was no doubting the fact that he had wisdom. There was no doubting the fact that he was doing mighty works. But it bothered them because he used to just be one of the guys. And now he's kind of been exalted and he's doing these amazing things and they can't connect the dots. They can't put it together. Look at your notes, guys. There's incorrect human reasoning regarding Jesus. They're evaluating Jesus incorrectly. They're thinking about him purely with the natural mind, with the carnal mind. Let's just read through it. Jesus had left the family business to become an itinerant preacher with no regular income. Now, what parent wants that for their kid? Leave the family business and you're going to, how are you going to live? Well, I'm just going to go around and preach and, and pray that people take care of me. You're what? Nobody kind of really, most people, I should say, don't really want that for their kids. They want security. They want a 401k. They want them to have a retirement plan. They want them to have a 5, a 10, a 20-year projection on their business and how they're going to live and how they're going to retire and all of that kind of thing. So Jesus, that wasn't the road he was taking. Jesus' actions caused the religious and political leaders to want to kill him. Now, he knew that, but he either didn't seem to care or he didn't seem to understand. It's kind of like you're saying to your child, son, why are you doing this? Don't you know they want to kill you? Don't you care? Do you have a death wish? Or don't you understand? How can you miss this? So there's some concern there. They may have worried that Jesus' popularity had gone to his head and inflated his ego. Before he was this itinerant preacher guy, he was just a, you know, a carpenter helping out dad in the workshop or carrying on with the family business. Now he's got multitudes. They're, I wonder if they're wondering, it's getting to his head. He's got this, Jesus has a Messiah complex. Oh no. Kind of a joke there. You can go ahead and laugh. At least make me feel better. I mean, it's, has it gone to his head? Is he, is, he, is he just, you know, loving this attention? So they're concerned about him. His recent spiritual power showed, he recently showed spiritual power that they had never seen before. What had changed? Now, guys, imagine if, you know, your, your older son's in the house, he's living with mom, he's a 30-year-old living with mom, <laughs> and uh, suddenly he's, you know, said, Mom, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go kind of visit this city over here, and then some, he sees somebody that has a demon, and, 
Imagine the first miracle, you know, and he's, he's, led by the, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's led by his father. His father says, go out and lay hands and cast this demon out, and he does it. And Wait a minute, don't you, aren't you, you know, suddenly there's like, huh? What's going on here? There was a shock about it all. His life has changed. When did this start to happen? Have you been hiding this power from us all along? What did you do? Where did you go? What retreat did you go to? What book did you read? You know, what, what counseling session did you attend? Suddenly his life is radically different. His choice of close associates was questionable at best. Matthew, the tax collector, hated guy in the nation of Israel. It may have been even foolish and dangerous. And the crowds placed such a demand on Jesus as he wasn't allowed to have a normal life. You know, if I, if I preach this sermon correctly, you're going to be bothered. So you can pray for me. <laughs> if I preach this correctly, some of us are going to be bothered because we just want to have a normal life. I just want to go to work. I want to work my 40 hours. I want there to be less than a four-hour you know, commute traffic on the way home. I just want to have a nice weekend. I just want to have a nice church experience. I just want my life. If you've ever caught yourself saying this, you know, Buckle up a little bit. I just want my life to be normal. They wanted, as his family, as his friends, they wanted his life to be normal. You're going too far. You're taking too many risks. You're too busy. What are you thinking? There are people against you. Your life's not normal anymore. We think you're crazy. We think that you've lost your mind. There's something wrong here. Guys, they were measuring the Son of God by their normal lifestyles. And we easily can do this in our lives, can't we? We want to measure the work of God. We want to measure the people of God, Christians. We want to measure the business of a church. We want to measure so many things within Christendom by our normal lifestyle. And if we do that, then we're bringing all of that down to us instead of us elevating our lives up to it. It's really easy to do. And it's a terrible danger. And I want to suggest to you and submit to you that if, if we're doing that, we need to break free of it. We're not to, to evaluate the working of God and the people of God by our normal comfort zone lifestyle. And I say this every once in a while and I like to say it. Did you know the words comfort zone aren't in the Bible? Jesus never said, follow me and, and I won't ask you to, to step outside of your comfort zone. He never said that. He said, lay down your life, pick up your cross and follow me. If you want to, lose your, if you want to find your life, lose it. Consider yourself dead to this world. His family was having trouble with that. I confess to you, if one of my kids said, Dad, I feel like you know, God's calling me to the mission field, first I'd say, good, Mexico? That's where my heart's at, you know, in a lot of ways. And they said, no, Somalia. I said, well, take some time and pray about it. I've been praying about it for six months. I've been fasting. Somalia? You know, the Southwest go there? I mean, you know, you're going to take the grandkids to Somalia? You know what I'm saying? To a dangerous place? Would I be okay with that? I'd be nervous, wouldn't you? Would you guys? Yes or no? I'd be nervous. I'd be a little selfish about it. Don't you take, but you can go, but you leave them grandkids home. We're, we're going to adopt them and put them under our, you know, that's very natural to do. And this is what's going on with Jesus. They're measuring him by their normalcy. They're measuring the work of God by their normal, comfortable, manageable lifestyles. And they're wrong, and they think the Son of God is out of his mind. And this can happen, can't it? Now I want you to consider, if you, want to, if you want to analyze Jesus a little bit, look under letter C here. Jesus displayed proper forethought, planning, and thinking regarding the crowds. He was actually very logical. He was very much in his right mind. 
He asked for a boat to speak from because he anticipated crowd pressures. So he's forward thinking. He's planning ahead. That, that's not the sign of somebody that's out of their mind. That's, somebody, that's the sign of somebody that's very much in their right mind. He refused to accept the, the, the uh, witness of a demon who wanted to acknowledge him. Jesus wasn't interested in getting endorsements anywhere that he could. He was powerful. We've seen this. Now, I just want you to think about all, all that we've looked at in the Gospel of Mark so far. Jesus was powerful. Excuse me. He was powerful. He was unselfish. He was giving. He was popular. He was very intelligent and filled with foresight. He's not at all out of his mind. And once again, if you're a parent or going to be a parent soon or with your friends or family members or siblings or peers, if they, are, if they are exhibiting leadership, guys, look at number three there under letter C. That's powerful, unselfish, giving. If they're popular because they're unselfish and they're powerful, if they're very intelligent and filled with foresight, you'd be proud of them unless it seems to you a little bit too much. You can't even have lunch. We need to be aware of that. He deserves our admiration. Jesus deserves our admiration as a leader. They may not have liked his work intensity, but he was very rational in his thinking and their criticism missed the mark. You guys with me? Everybody here? Your bodies are. You thinking it through? Their criticism missed the mark. They wrongly evaluated the Son of God and his mission on the earth. They thought that he was out of his mind. What's the application for us? There always needs to be an application. Some of you are, are really pushing the boundaries of your own life in regards to wanting to be more committed to Jesus. People in this room, I know, some, some in this room are pushing hard to follow Christ. They're doing more than they've ever done before. They're taking what seem to be risks that other people think are foolish. They're investing time in the kingdom of God. They're investing more of their money in the kingdom of God. They're doing it with their children. They're doing it with their spouses. They're doing it with their friends. They're going for it. Some people in this room are doing that. Some, some of it we see, some of it we don't. I, I see some of it. I'm sure there are other people that I don't see. But one of, the, one of the things that can happen to us is this. As you try to live wholeheartedly for Jesus, it might cause problems with family and friends. You might get this kind of pushback that, that Jesus' people were giving to him. They might, your loved ones might think you're going too far, doing too much, taking a risk. If you go to Mexico with us anytime soon, pretty much guarantee somebody's going to get diarrhea. You, are you okay with that? Or you're going to be vomiting? Pretty much guarantee. There was a nice video. They didn't show the bathroom action. Pretty much, you know, pretty much happens all the time. We, when our first year that we went, I forget, 14, 15 years ago, we had a team of 40 people and 20 of them were at home in bed, sweating, throwing up, and doing the other thing. For days. A couple of them got seriously ill and they came back again. If you're going to follow Jesus, guys, there's a price to pay. Sometimes a very physical price to pay, financial price to pay emotional, psychological, spiritual price to pay. And so Jesus here is going for it. And as you go for it, sometimes people are going to say, why would you do that again? Don't you remember how it turned out last time? Because God wants me to do it. Because the Lord's leading me to do this. He's leading me to go witness to those people that kind of 
you know, insulted me in front of everybody. He's leading me to talk to the boss again and I know I might lose my job as a result. He's leading me to go into the mission field. He's leading me to have to get up earlier or stay up later or do this or that or talk to these people where there's opposition. He's leading me to do this. But don't, isn't it hard? Yes, it's hard. But he's leading me to do this. And it's so easy for us guys, once again, to say, I want to judge, I want to judge how, how involved I'll be with the things of God by my comfort zone and by, by the normal lifestyle that we think we, that somehow we deserve. It was happening to Jesus. If, you, if you're trying to live for the Lord, sometimes people in their love and concern will actually discourage you from following Christ. Guys, isn't it funny, in a, in a not a funny kind of way, but we raise our children to follow Jesus, right? How many of us have raised our children to follow Jesus and are in the process? Raise your hand. Come on, let's get out. So we're raising our children to follow Jesus and then they have the nerve to actually start doing it. We ask them, you know, you have to, you know, you have to share your toy. Okay, they learn to share their toy and then when they're 23, they want to give away their car. Well, that's going too far. Who's to say that? If they've prayed about it and God has prompted their hearts. It's a very natural thing to want to protect people and say, you're going too far. And we can actually discourage our children or our friends from following the Lord because it's not something we're comfortable with. Something to be aware of. Notice also, Jesus didn't directly respond to them. He didn't, he didn't try to explain it. Sometimes silence might be the best thing. Just kind of carry on and love the people and, and so on and so forth. Conversely, application for us, if you're a critic... If you kind of seem to be criticizing people that seem to be going too far, notice this. Be careful and slow to criticize those who seem to be radical for Jesus. You might actually be criticizing the work of God. In, in my heart, I've done it. You know, some people that are going to certain parts of the world ministering to certain people groups, and I'm thinking, in, in, my, in, my, in the quietness of my heart, because I'm the pastor and I would never say this, you're out of your mind. I would never go there. Well, the Lord hasn't called me there, but why should I discourage them because God's called them there? And I can do that too. I have natural aversions. You have natural aversions, things that we don't want to be involved in, and we want to criticize others that are involved with it. Ministry to the homeless. Some people might say, oh, I'm not going to, oh, you know, it's just a terrible experience being around homeless people. How could you do that? Because the Lord has put his love in my heart for them. So we want to be careful to not be critics, criticizing the work of God in other people. So, Jesus was misunderstood by his own people. It might happen to you, and you might be the one that's doing it. Be careful not to be that critic. Let's look at some other verses here. Verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has bills above, and by by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. So he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan if a kingdom is divided against itself? That kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first find, excuse me, unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will then he will plunder his house. So Jesus is here, guys, displaying spiritual power um, that these guys don't have. These are the scribes. The scribes were like the lawyers. They were the ones that copied the Bible. And so remember, no, no photo mach- or photocopy machines or anything like that. Uh, they had to copy everything by hand. So these guys, if you're copying the Bible you know, to pass it on, you really know the word of God. That should 
impact your life in such a way that you have a lot of power and a lot of influence over people's lives. Jesus comes on the scene and he's preaching in ways that are blowing the people away in ways that the scribes could never do. And so there's a jealousy there. They feel a competition. Perhaps they feel he's taking uh, their followers, taking their influence, undermining them. And so there's some problem there with the scribes. He's gaining popularity and respect that the leaders don't have. <clears throat> Look at your notes there at the bottom of the page. A, a commentator named Lane, he said, it is possible, the, the scribes are here, they're from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about 80 miles to the south. So they send up a committee to investigate Jesus. It's possible that they were official emissaries from the great Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the Supreme Court. This is like, dare I say, Trump, did I just split the crowd, sending someone to Napa to check you out. We don't know what you're doing over there. We're, gonna, we're sending the professionals to check you out. So Lane says, it's possible that these people were official emissaries from the great Sanhedrin who came to examine Jesus' miracles to determine whether Capernaum should be declared a seduced city, the prey of an apostate preacher. They were going to write off not only Jesus, but possibly the whole city, just saying they're not part of us anymore because they're following this Nazarene guy. And so this was the, the degree of opposition. Then they went and said, he has Beelzebub. That's another name for Satan. They can't just say he has a demon. They have to say that he has Satan. Now notice, his spiritual power was obvious, but they wouldn't say it was from God. They have to explain it away because they don't have that power. Jesus has power. He still has power. Amen? He still has power. And he still wants to work his power in us and through us. And maybe God's working his power in and through you and giving you courage or boldness in prayer or in sharing or something else. And somebody else feels, another Christian, maybe even another Christian feels like, why are you so forward with your faith? Why are you witnessing? Why are you praying? Why are you doing this? And, and it might be because they feel intimidated that they're not even. So sometimes we want to explain things away. Well, they're, they're an evangelist just because uh, they're arrogant. Or they're, they're teaching uh, the children over there because they think they know it all. We can sometimes ex try to explain things away because we ourselves are a little bit intimidated or insecure about what they're doing. So there's all, all of these things, guys. This is, a real, this is a real human drama story going on here. All these things are happening. They had to explain away his spiritual power, guys, because he was casting out demons. Look at, look at David Gusick's quote at the bottom of page one. He's quoting from a commentary named, called Expositors. These critics wouldn't say that Jesus was possessed by just any demon, but by Satan himself. Now, just think it through with me, okay? They have to explain a way that he can do something that they can't do. He can do something they can't do, and they're supposed to be the spiritual leaders, so they have to explain it away. But in saying that he was possessed by Beelzebub, notice the net result. This was an involuntary compliment to the exceptional power and greatness of Jesus. If it was just a demon, then the demon could only cast, could cast out five out of ten demons, you know? Or just little baby demons. Or little weakling, you know, demons under five. Or something like that. You know? Little weakling demons, little fragile anemic demons, you know? But Jesus was casting out all the demons. Well, he must have, he must be possessed by Satan. 
And if you're saying he must be possessed by Satan, then you're essentially saying he has great power. In, in, in essence, they were actually agreeing with the fact that Jesus had great power, but they were trying to explain it away. Such is the human heart. Such is the human heart when we are intimidated. Such is the human heart, excuse me, when we're insecure. Such is the human heart when we see somebody perhaps doing something that we should be doing. Such is the human heart when we're convicted. Somebody else is doing good. Guys, I really, you know, we study the Bible so God can search out our hearts here. I hope you don't feel like the pastor's beating the sheep today. I'm not trying to. But we study the Bible to search out our hearts today. And if you see somebody else doing something, we, we need people Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 7.45 to about 8.30 for the coffee ministry. And some of you could say, well, Pastor Bill's out there because he just likes to... Mostly I just stand there like this and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, sugar or Splenda? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last Friday I gave him buttercream donuts. Got a couple guys in with buttercream donuts. I said, sir, can you do me a favor? Sure, what do you need? Could you eat one of those donuts? Because if you don't, I'm going to eat it. Some people, oh, he's out there because he just likes to talk to people and Pastor Bill thinks he's listening. No, I really, honestly, I just want to meet people and hope that they meet Jesus. We can criticize people because maybe they're doing what we should be doing and we feel insecure about it. So we have to explain it away. And this is what's happening with these religious leaders. They're, they're, Jesus is doing what they should have been doing all along. He's loving the people. They didn't love the people. He's delivering the people. They didn't deliver the people. He's ministering to them. They were putting them under bondage. They should have been doing it, but they weren't. And so now they have to criticize the guy that's doing it correctly. I can do that. I can be the critic. I don't want to be the critic. You can do that. You can be the critic. Don't be the critic. If somebody is doing something that you should be doing, let it inspire you to step up and, and be that man, be that woman to do those things that Jesus is doing. His own people misunderstood him, but these guys are taking it to the next level. They want to destroy him. His family wants to save him. These guys want to destroy him. There wasn't jealousy with the first group. There was just scratching of the head and concern, carnal concern. But the second group, they're jealous. They want to destroy Verse 23, read it again. He tells them this parable. So he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. You know, guys, Jesus could have just turned these guys into frogs. <laughs> frog or toad, make a choice. Frog or toad, frog or toad. <laughs> you know, he could have just, he could have spoke them out of existence. You know, in my flesh, the part of me that, that, that is me without Christ, I, I would have said something like, who do you think you are? Where have you guys been? I've been out doing this and we've been out doing this and we're visiting those and we're doing... And you come and criticize me? I mean, you know, I could be that way. I think you guys could too because we all, we're all made of the same stuff. We all struggle with the same thing. We struggle when people uh, accuse us and, and, uh, 
and, and to speak ill of our best efforts. It's hard when that happens. I've been told some things. You've been told some things. I've never been told I'm possessed by Satan. I've been told some other things, so have you. My, but my human flesh, my sinful, sinful part of me that, that's not dominated by the Spirit of God would want to fight back. And instead, Jesus, he loves these guys. They're created in the image of God. And he just says, hey guys, let's talk. What you're saying doesn't even make sense. He reasons with them. He just simply says, if a, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it's not going to last. You guys know that. You're smart. You can figure it out. He treats them with dignity and with respect. Instead of shouting them down, may I say something that I really just do not like that I see on social media? You know, and I'm not referring to any of you guys out there. It's all those other churches that do these kinds of things. Okay, joke, 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 joke. I, I see things like there's this one little interview of a of a conservative pastor talking to a liberal pastor, and the title above it says, "Conservative pastor crushes liberal pastor." And, and if you watch the little video, yes, it's very interesting. The, the conservative pastor had points that the liberal pastor couldn't answer and he was kind of silenced by the end of the conversation and everything like that. Is that the spirit of Christ? Conservative pastor crushes liberal pastor. Is that Jesus? It's not Jesus. That's hellish. When we take delight in the destruction of other people and proving them wrong, cut another notch on our belt and like painting skull and crossbones on our Bible, cut another one. Is that what it's about? Jesus isn't doing that with these guys. God help me. God help you. God help us to not be so defensive. And I can be defensive and so can you, especially when we're trying. And Jesus doesn't do that with these guys. He reasons with them. May I encourage you guys to, if there's any of that that goes on in your heart, God help us all, amen? I want to hear an amen. Amen. God help us all to not be those kinds of Christians. They love to engage and tear people down. Jesus isn't doing that. And he could have pointed to this guy, I know what you did last week, and he could have named his sins in front of everybody. He could have humiliated them all. But he didn't. He's trying to win them. He's trying to gain them to himself. It's a beautiful example of how we're supposed to live with people, especially those that criticize us when we're doing our best to serve the Lord. That's tough. But we can do it because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen? Christ is in you, you can do this. When the Spirit of God has you, you can do that. You can answer with people with dignity and respect and love them. That's what Jesus did. He shows the illogical thinking of a divided kingdom. He just reasons with them. He says, come on guys, you guys are smart, you understand. And then in verse 27, he explained about himself, I'm the one that can overpower Satan. You said I'm doing it by Satan, but no, I'm overpowering Satan. Look at, the, look at the wording there in verse 27. Dear people, this is what's going on in Napa. This is what's going on among the rich and famous and the poor and unknown. This is what goes on with people all around us, the people you work with, the, the teachers at your kids' school, the soccer moms, the soccer dads, all of them. We're in the basketball season. The basketball coaches, all this kind of stuff. This is what's going on in people's lives. We need to understand it. Verse 27, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. The strong man is plundering people's lives. Satan is plundering people's lives, telling them it's okay to cheat in their marriage, telling them it's okay to cheat on their taxes, telling them it's okay to have a divided heart with loving their family and loving another family over here. I met a guy years ago that had two wives and two families in Napa. I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, no, everybody's okay with it. Well, you've all bought into the lie then. 
It's just that Satan plunders people's lives, destroys them. How can that wife feel loved? How can those children feel loved? And Jesus came to undo all of that, right? You guys with me? He came to undo all of that. Look at, look at this next verse. 1 John 3, 8. He who sins or he who is overpowered is of the devil because the devil has sinned from the beginning. When people are sinning, it's because they've been listening to the wrong voice and giving in to the wrong voice. But notice, for this purpose... The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to set people free. And that's what he wants us to do. And if this group is setting people free, I don't want to be the one that's criticizing them, even if I don't understand how extreme they are or whatever. I want to just say, the Lord bless you as you set people free. And I don't want to be that critic. And if I'm part of that group, then I don't want to be so discouraged that I quit serving God. Guys, if you're going to serve the Lord, may I say this to you? If you're going to serve the Lord, you with me? If you're going to serve the Lord with all your heart, you're going to be criticized, but you can't quit. You can't quit. If you quit because you're discouraged, Satan wins. The world wins. If you're serving the Lord, you will be criticized. If you're serving him well, you're going to be criticized by ungodly people and even by carnal Christians. And then there's that old self-condemnation as well. When you fail. Or even when you do something really good and you start patting yourself on the back. But we can't quit. We just keep going forward with the ways of God. And then verse 28 to 30, I'm just going to touch on this. It's a complicated theological thing. I'm just going to touch on it. If there's questions or you want to get a, together with me and talk about it, more we can. Verse 20, 28, he's talking to his critics now. He's talking to the ones that said, you're possessed by Satan. <laughs> he's, talking to, he's talking to the ones that have come almost 100 miles either by foot or by horse to try to see what's wrong with him. He said in verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. Apparently these men had not yet committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is still reasoning with them. I want to use myself as a negative uh, example because that way you guys don't feel like I'm picking on you, but if I do that too much, you're never going to come back. But part of me would say, you know what? They're really close to committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Have a nice day. <laughs> and just leave them to their own stuff. You know what I mean? You're, you're on the path to destruction. I tried being nice to you once. <laughs> Have a nice eternity, loser. You know, you're going to hell. Go ahead, uh, whatever. Jesus doesn't do that with them. He reasons with them. He warns them. He didn't need to warn his family because they weren't in danger of doing it, that they just misunderstood him. But these guys are in danger of eternal condemnation because they are attributing the things of God to the works of Satan. And the biggest thing is they are ignoring the witness of the Spirit of God concerning the person of Christ. If you read John, or, yeah, John chapter 16, uh, verses 5 to 15, right in there, Jesus talks about how the Spirit will come and bear witness to who Christ is. And the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, as I understand it, is not just this idea of calling, uh, saying Jesus has 
an unclean spirit, but it's denying the truth about who Christ is. This is they, they were denying the truth of who Christ was, and this was the result. They were saying that was kind of like their fallout. But people who denied the, the person of Christ, it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I want you to read, follow along as I read this thing from David Gusick. Look at David says, The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, not because it is a sin too big for God to forgive. God can forgive every, any, any, any sin. Not because it's a sin too big for God to forgive, but because it is an attitude of heart that cares nothing for God's forgiveness. It never has forgiveness because it never wants forgiveness. God's way. It never wants forgiveness. People say, yeah, I sin, you know, but I'm, I'm basically a good person. I, do, I try to do good works. And you, know, you guys hear all the things that people say. I'm not that bad. I haven't robbed banks. I haven't killed anybody. The Bible says the person who sins shall surely die an eternal death. And Jesus came to die for our sins. You guys know the gospel. He came to die for our sins. He came to undo the works of the wicked one. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is that person that says, I want forgiveness. I want to be right with God, but I'll have it on my terms. No, you won't. Nobody will have it on their terms. Moving on to this final section here. If you have any questions, uh, we're going to receive questions. And if you have any questions, I'll try to answer them. Also, at the end of our service, guys, we're just going to bring the lights down a little bit. We're just going to worship a little bit. Just going to sit before the Lord, think things through before we before we leave this place. There's going to be people up here to pray for you if you need prayer. It's just going to be a response time. It's not going to be a look around time. It's not going to be time to talk with anybody. It's just going to be a time to say, Lord, am I misunderstanding your work in this world? Am I going overboard with people that I love? Oh, I think they're too too extreme. Lord, help me to not be that critic if I'm misunderstanding people. Lord, I'm that person that's really trying to serve you and I feel discouraged because people are saying that I'm out of my mind. How could I risk my family? How could I throw away my retirement? God, help me to not quit. Help me to not be discouraged. Lord, I should, I, I should be the one that's doing those things and I'm not. Help me to not resent that person because they're doing what I should be doing. And then maybe even for some here, I don't know all of you guys, may I not be that one that says no to Christ. And he's, 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 he's warning these guys now. And he's pleading with them to come to him. Verse 31 to 35. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside they sent to him, calling him. <clears throat> and a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Mom is really worried. What a good mom, right? That's a, that's a total, total mom. Mom's, mom is worried. Verse 33, But he answered them saying, <clears throat> Who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my, is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus, guys, redefined what it means to be in the true family of God. Exodus 20:12 says to honor your mother and your father. And Jesus did that. He honored his mother and father. He honored his family, his natural family, his blood relations. 
But Jesus showed us there's a deeper connection than just natural family and there's spiritual family. And I'll tell you what, everybody look at me. If there's one thing that I want this church to understand, it's that. Your spiritual family, and I'm not going to apologize for this at all, your spiritual family is more important than your natural family. I don't apologize for that. As we serve Jesus, there are times when we might need to stay home from church and absent ourselves from the body of Christ. But we, we respond to familial obligations much more quickly than we do to spiritual ones because we, we see the spiritual family as an optional thing that I'll go to if, if I like it. I'll go hang out at that church or with these people if they make me feel good. We don't even do that with our natural families. We go see Uncle Ted and Aunt Rita, who are weird and always hassle us every Thanksgiving because we feel an obligation. Where's the obligation to the spiritual family of God? We, that needs to increase, I think, all over the world probably because we have turned church and the attending of certain services and gatherings into consumerism. I'll go if it suits me. We're more obligated to go to a family dinner that we don't want to go to than go to a spiritual gathering with God's true family because we don't like this person or they, I don't get enough of a thrill. Come and serve, amen? Come and bless somebody. Come and pray for somebody. Come and be surprised about how God blesses you. I think that's a, I think that's a characteristics. Again, I'm not, I'm not angry about this. It's just something that I see. We need, to, we need to jettison that kind of thinking. And notice Jesus backs me up on it. I should say I back him up on it. That was a close one, wasn't it? That was almost blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Some people say, God first, family second, everything else third. Jesus disagrees. It's not God first, natural family second, everything else third. It's not that. It's Jesus first, period. It's Jesus first and there are no seconds. Jesus first means you'll know when to go to Thanksgiving dinner. Jesus first means you'll know how to commit yourself to a body of believers and be there, even if there's nobody that really kind of entertains you or kind of tickles your fancy or whatever you, however you want to say it. If it's Jesus first, he'll, he'll give you a burden to be committed to other believers because we are true family with one another. Guys, if we gather together just to suit ourselves, Jesus said, what credit is that to you? Don't even tax collectors and sinners do that? We're no better than, than the thieves under the, you know, out in the world if we're just gathering with people because they suit us. We're no better than them. We need to see ourselves as a spiritual family bound together in Christ. Guys, I'm going to spend eternity with you. Get used to me. I'm getting used to you. Love me. I'm trying to love you. This is the spiritual family of God. And Jesus put priority on it. And I think it's something we really need to learn. Now, I'm going to read a quote to you that might kind of rock, rock you a little bit and bother you, but I, I, I have to do it. Christians have idols. American Association of Biblical Counselors. Christians have idols that we love to hate, at least superficially. We hate things like materialism and pride and sex. For some reason, it's much easier to see how they can divert our attention from the Lord than the idols that we love to love. What do we love to love as Christians? We love to love conservative politics. We love conservative politics. We love to love the American dream. We love to love the family. And those things can be just as idolatrous as, as material wealth and sex and drugs and rock and roll and all those other things. They can be just as much of an idol in our lives. These other things, conservative politics, the American dream and the family, we elevate to the status of Christian values. Yet even the good and well-intentioned things that we do as Christ followers are idols when they cause Christ to lose preeminence in our lives. 
That's something just to, to, to think about. <clears throat> last, last portion here. How do we know if we're in the family of God? There should be family resemblance. If you knew my mom, she had the Barella nose. It wasn't a dainty little thing. It was a proboscis. We are part mosquitoes. I got the Barella nose, and if you look at my son Jonathan, he's got the Barella nose. It's like my uncle's posed for the old Indian head nickel. If you're old enough to remember that. There's a family resemblance. If you see one of us, man, there's no denying. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I see it right away. Family resemblance is how we know we're in the body of Christ. Is there a family resemblance to Jesus? All the things that he was doing. We're never going to match, and it's not a matter of matching him at all. But all the things he was doing, he gave his disciples power to preach the word, to share the word, to, to cast out demons, to pray for people to serve. Is there a family resemblance? Look at what Jesus said. He defined it. Verse 35, whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. A couple of quotes at the end, we close. What one thing have you done today solely because Jesus said to do it? What one thing have you not done simply because he says not to do it? It is absurd to say we believe and never do what he tells us. It's just the family resemblance isn't there. Jesus said those who do the will of his father are mother and brother and sister to him. And Dr. Bruce Beloyan, one of my mentors, how do we know we're in the family of God? And this isn't the only way, but according to the chapter, this is what we learn. It is when we do his will. In this chapter, it means drawing near to him, preaching and having power. It means that we should be careful what and who we criticize. Our job is doing the type of work Jesus did. Amen, guys? Even just a cup of coffee in his name. Sugar, cream, or Splenda. Just a cup and a buttercream donut. It just, even, any little thing in his name is doing his work. It's our job to use the authority he has given us. And then the question at the last, are we a relative or are we a critic? Sometimes in the same day I can flip back and forth. We all can. So this isn't about beating ourselves up. It's just about a healthy self-examination. What have we asked? Lord, am I criticizing people that are really following you? Do I think they're too extreme? Do I think they're crazy when they go do this or go do that? Lord, am I serving you? And am I getting discouraged because people don't acknowledge me? Or am I getting discouraged because they're misinterpreting me? Lord, I don't want to quit. Is this one on now, Paul? Thanks. I don't want to quit, Lord. I don't want to quit when my family kind of discourages me. I don't want to quit when they, mis- when they misunderstand me. I want to keep going. And Lord, I don't want to be a critic when I criticize those who are doing what I should be doing. When I see other people serving and I'm not, I don't want to assign to them a bad motive. I don't want to say they're doing it for some other reason. 
Search us, Lord. Know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the ways everlasting, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're such a tremendous example, God. So full of patience and kindness, so full of power, so selfless, Lord. You are so worthy of following, Jesus. You are such an amazing Savior. Thank you, Lord. As you have spoken to us today, Lord, may we say yes, God. Forgive us for whatever needs to be forgiven. Natural evaluation of other people, criticism, all of that. Father, forgive us. If you've spoken to our hearts today, forgive us, Lord. If you've stirred and poked at that self-preservation thing we have, God, would you forgive us of that, Lord? You didn't save yourself, and we're not supposed to either. We're supposed to live for you, Lord, as you lead, as you guide. So, Lord, motivate our hearts. We don't want to be motivated by men, by churches, by movements, or by friends, Lord. We want our motivation to be 100% from you, nothing else, Lord. So have your way with us. Father, I pray your blessing. I'd like to ask you guys just to lift your hand to the Lord. Kind of say, here I am. Lord, pray your blessing on our, on our lives. Use us to your glory, Lord, in your presence. Your word says in your presence is the fullness of joy. So we want to walk with you and be filled with that joy everlasting. Have your way with us and be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.